Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Many people watch the Super Bowl not really for the game, because, I mean, let's let's face it, the game oftentimes is not a great game, but they watch the game for the advertisements. They watch it because there are companies that will pay millions to advertise a, maybe a 30-second ad during the Super Bowl when all these different people are watching. One of my favorite ads of all times when it came to a Super Bowl ad was one called the Green Police. <laughs> it's been a few years now since it was on, but I think you can probably still YouTube it. The Green Police was an ad by Volkswagen, believe it or not. And what it showed, just really funny, what it showed was people, the, these different people were doing different things. And maybe they were throwing a, a pop can away, or maybe they were driving to the store just for a container of milk rather than combining, you know, their, their stops and into one. And they were doing these, these little things, maybe, you know, wadding up a, 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 a scrap paper and, and just throwing it away, whatever the case may be, they were doing things that weren't green. right? And, and these green police would, would pull them over or they would bust in their house and they would arrest them and put the handcuffs on uh, because they weren't doing what the green police wanted them to do. In other words, they want these green police were there in every part of their life. And if you didn't toe the line and you didn't, you know, say the right thing or you said the wrong thing, then then you you were in trouble, right? Rush Limbaugh used to say that words mean things. And you know, it's I know it sounds simplistic, but in it, it is true, words mean things. In other words, if I say something, I am trying to convey to you a meaning. I am trying to get across to you an idea, or maybe it's a question, or whatever the case may be. I'm trying to communicate with you something. And if you are not hearing the words that I'm saying, or I mean, you may hear the word, but if it doesn't register to you as what I mean it to say, then we are not going to be able to have a very good time communicating, right? We, we, our, our time communicating is not going to be very productive because we're using maybe the same word, but we're, we're meaning different things. Or maybe we're prevented from, from actually communicating at all. Maybe we're we're uh, being we're we're being prevented from from conveying what we mean because we can't use certain words or we can't use certain phrases. Well, Jason Rance of Newsweek had a really interesting article, and it, it was in, entitled "The Prevention Advocacy and Resource Center" or PARC. Their website at Brandis University reads like a parody and, and and it really does it it is just amazing if you if you check this out and it's parc compiled a list of words it deemed too offensive to utter okay so so just just like the analogy i, I gave a, a little while ago of one of my favorite movies uh, and and how the the word that it was there was a color in, in it's it's the movie the village 
the um, the color red is it was a a, a name or uh, a color that you didn't speak of, right? You didn't say red. Uh, you didn't have any red around the village. There was there was nothing that was red because red was dangerous. And and you know again, it, it, this is the, it kind of gives you that feel, right? PARC compiled this list of words it deemed too offensive to even utter, which which includes the phrases "rule of thumb," "killing it," and "freshman." <laughs> and somewhat ironically. When you think about it, trigger warning. <laughs> but the the list is is making the rounds of social media right now, and it, and it's eliciting general mockery, really, to be honest, from the po- political right. And these these political justice warriors deserve to be mocked. They really do. Their list is absolutely ridiculous. But you know, conservatives and moderates and anyone interested in an open and honest exchange of ideas shouldn't disarm or dismiss PARC as merely a joke. They, they shouldn't, we, we shouldn't just say, you know what, this is just a joke. I'm not, I'm not going to worry about it. Uh, this, this is, this is just not, you know, anything that anybody's going to take seriously. Well, this level of word policing is quite dangerous. It really is. The student-centered, as <laughs> they, they call themselves student-centered, but, you know, we'll put that in quotes. The student-centered uh, resource plays into absolutely every stereotype that you might have about the hypersensitive, self-preening you know, progressives who are, are offended by everything but claim to be, you know, brave enough to fight for the marginalized. Right? <laughs> How many times have you heard that? They see the world through a social justice lens, you know, focusing on the tenets of critical race theory and intersectionality. It's, it's, it's just, it's one of those things you just shake your head at. But PARC, uh, their staffers compiled a list of examples of supposedly violent language. Did you hear that? It, it, they call it violent language. All examples are, are just simply ridiculous. Uh, a few are even condemned based on outright erroneous claims. I mean, they're, they're just, it's, it's just not true. Progressive activists believe words are violence, that words are violence when they're not claiming silence is violence, of course. Right? So, so silence is violence when it comes to racism, but words are violent as well. So everything they do, uh, you know, everything they do not really like is considered violence. That's that's basically your rule of thumb, <laughs> including the oppressive phrase, killing it. Rather than a- adopt the understood meaning of the phrase, they argue it should be replaced because, quote, if someone is doing well, there are other ways to say to say this without equating it to murder, unquote. <laughs> it's, you know, sometimes you just need a good laugh because it's just so ridiculous. And this is one of those times. Uh, the phrase rule of thumb apparently also can't be used. We can't use rule of thumb. That, that one's out. Scratch that from your, from your vocabulary. Uh, P-A-R-C claims the, the expression... Uh, allegedly comes from an old British law allowing men to beat their wives with sticks no wider 
than their thumb. And this is just simply not true. <laughs> it's just, not, I, I mean, I've, I've heard this before. I, it, this is not the first time that I've heard rule of thumb came from that, that, that thing, but it's, it's just not true. Christina Hoff, some, uh, Summers debunked the rule of thumb in her 1994 book, Who Stole Feminism? Uh, how women have have betrayed women. This, in her book, Summers finds the earliest misuse of the phrase in a 1976 National Organization for Women report and used it to bolster her case against domestic violence statistics. <laughs> I mean, does this surprise anyone that the National Organization for Women or now would would lie, <laughs> would just make something up? to try to bolster their case against domestic violence statistics. Uh, just the three separate academic investigations looked into the proof that the phrase rule of thumb originated from the British law and, and found absolutely no evidence of this whatsoever. There is no evidence to, to back that, that claim up. But since it was used back in 1976 by the national organization for women, then that, that's what we hear today, particularly on social media, right? PARC demands you stop using the word picnic because it claims the word was often associated with lynchings of black people in the United States during which white spectators were said to have watched while eating, referring to them as picnics. This is, of course, guess what? Also simply not true. <laughs> I mean, come on. You, you almost couldn't make this stuff up. I mean, let's say you were writing a book, right? Uh, you're George Orwell. I don't know, <laughs> whatever you are. And you're writing a book about what it's going to be like in the future. Would you have, would you have even come anywhere close to this? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess George Orwell did, but anyway, we'll, <laughs> we'll move forward. Uh, a Reuters fact check actually debunked this picnic one because you may have, have just had a, a picnic, you know, for the 4th of July weekend. Um, but we can't call it that. Uh, and, and yet why? Because, you know, it may have been associated with some lynchings of black people. Well, Reuters fact check debunked this allegation rather easily, actually. Yet we see the same lie in many social media posts all the time. Some posts allege the word picnic itself stem from the N word, right? And, and I won't use that word. This, there, there's one that we, you know, we could probably scrub from our, our vocabulary, but the, the N word is what they think picnic came from. Now you may be scratching your head, but let's, let, let's see what they had to say. According to Dr. David Pilgrim, author of several books on history and culture, symbols of the Jim Crow era, the word picnic derives from the 17th century French word pique-nique. <laughs> now, I'm not, I'm not French and I don't speak French and I don't even claim to speak French or play a French person on TV. Uh, but P-I-Q-U-E-N-I-Q-U-E, pique-nique, <laughs> a term used to describe a social gathering in which attendees each contributed with a portion of food or another useful item. Now, that's kind of cool. I mean, we, we, we call, we call them picnics today. We, uh, we call them potlucks as well. And this, this is what, uh, the word picnic came from. Now Pilgrim writes 
that a 1692 edition, uh, and, and again, I don't speak French, but I'm going to try this, right? Uh, Orig Origins de la Langue Francique de Manage <laughs> includes a word pique-nique uh, in it. And since, and now this is, again, 1692 is when pique-nique <laughs> came out. Since the, the uh, derived word picnic um, it was derived from that, uh, it, that did not appear in the ling English language until the 1800s. This suggests it did not, of course, originate in the U.S. Now, P-A-R-C, believe it or not, th they actually um, ended up deleting this part from their website, and and rightfully so, because it's just simply not true. Uh, and, and, and can you imagine, just, just stop with me for a second here. Can you imagine you are putting together a list of phrases and a list of words and as, as a group, it doesn't matter what group you are, and you're putting together this, this list and you get to this picnic one and you're going to include it without doing any kind of research. You're going to include it without, why? Well, because it's kind of like now, it's kind of like the National Organization of Women. You're just going to say it. You're just going to throw it out there to hope that people believe it. And, it, and it, you know, if it gets debunked, it gets debunked. That's okay. But at least we've thrown it out there and people will think about it and people will believe it because they don't have time to do their research. They may not, they may know even that it's not true, but they're going to throw it out there anyway. Why? In order to get what they want. The phrase, go off the reservation, apparently has a harmful history rooted in the violent removal of the indigenous people from their land, according to them. <laughs> so you better stop using it, right? You better stop using go off the reservation. And if you were expecting a trigger warning ahead of their word policing, think again. Trigger warning <laughs> will have connections to guns. For many people, and it is thus banned, right? <laughs> Similarly, banned is take a shot at. So if I'm going to take a shot at something, I'm going to I'm going to take a shot at what word needs to be banned next because it uses imagery of hunting someone or something, and we of course wouldn't want that. <laughs> Look, I don't want to go too far off the reservation here, but I generally have a rule of thumb when looking at stories like this. So allow me to take a shot and explain why we should not merely laugh at this word policing. <laughs> Progressive activists routinely seek to control language so that they can win the argument by reframing the debates. That's what it gets down to. They, they are really very good at this. Whether the strategy is intentional or not, the, the result is always the same. Redefining words and taking uh, away commonly understood meanings ends up, you know, redoundantly helping the, the left in, in their interests. Sometimes this is done explicitly, and other times it is done, you know, subtly. Now, it, it is done oftentimes, though, when you're trying to have a debate with a leftist. I've had many a time where I've even even talked about God, let's say, and you, you may say, well, God is, uh, does this, or God is that, or he says he's, he does this. And you may, you may use the word God and, and to your, to, to your 
understanding of, of, of what God is and their understanding of who he is, is, is entirely two different things. And you're not even really talking about the same thing. Uh, for example, the, the, the Portland city council replacing, uh, gendered pronouns in, in the city charter. they literally did this with, with gender neutral alternatives. Mayor Ted Wheeler called for it and said it was an important step toward being more inclusive of all gender identities is what he had to say. Now, on one hand, it was self-serving virtue signaling, much like what PRC staffers are now doing. Um, But it was also a, a strategic attempt at forcing societal change. As progressives redefine gender to follow their, you know, radical views, creating new victim uh, victim classes to pander to in, in order to stay in office, changing words in, you know, official documents helps legitimize their moves. It provokes and, it, and it's provoked as, as proof that the issue of gender fluid is settled after all. Even, even official city documents have made the shift, right? So it must be true. Now, he is really, I believe, he really is dead on correct in this assessment. And no, dead on wasn't on the list, but <laughs> I'm sure it'll probably make the next one. Um, but I think he was dead on in his assessment here of how the left cr- create new victims to gain power. You see, for years, conservatives have been the voice of, of the silent majority. You know, this, this is to say that the, the majority of people in this country operate out of a kind of a logic and a reason base. They believe in the tenets of individualism, for instance, that you can better yourself with hard work and risk-taking. Now, the problem-solving is it, it really is a desirable skill to have. Problem solving is something that that everyone should should have, and and if you believe in this and in these ideals, then you are likely to vote for political candidates that believe the very same things, right? Well, liberals, on the other hand, operate more out of a kind of emotional or feelings base, and they cannot gain political power just from presenting their ideals and beliefs because. They're not rooted in reason and logic, and thus they're not really appealing to the majority of Americans because they're they're rooted in in more of an emotional base. Leftists do tend to be more motivated to express their opinions, uh, unlike someone who believes in individualism, where you you do your thing and and, and I'll do my thing. Well, liberals, I, I their identity comes from making their views mainstream. As long as they're doing something about their perceived problems, they feel better about themselves. Conservatives don't think that way as a rule of thumb, right? They generally live by the live and let live philosophy and 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 don't tie their identities to their causes. Liberals can often even feel depressed if they are not actively working for a cause. With with this in mind, the, the silent majority just go about their daily lives striving to make the best of things and really not worrying about political things much, you know, until maybe election day or slightly before, right? But even then, many don't 
take the time to vote, even believing that one vote is not going to make a whole lot of difference. Just, you know, the reasoning behind it. Logically, they come to this conclusion, whether whether that's right or wrong. And, I, and, 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 I, and I'll say that it, it is wrong. If, if the silent majority really, if, if they did vote, if, they, if everybody got out and voted or the vast majority would get out and vote, uh, or even I would even say oftentimes the majority, because oftentimes we don't even have a, a majority that vote, things would be a little bit different. But because of this, leftists and the Democratic Party are made up of a lot of different special interest groups. These groups all have a cause, right? Each one is is motivated by a cause that that they're working toward. The key for the Democrats is keeping all of these factions happy. It really is their 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 key to, to it all. Sometimes these causes collide and liberals are put into a very difficult spot. And for example, um, you know, of of this um, type of thing it would be the, the clash of the of the women's rights movement and the and transgender uh, transgenderism. If if you look at the women's right, rights movement and tra- transgenderism, they they have really clashed in recent times. Women have you know have worked for decades to to have their own place in sports. Let's say in in school uh, sanctioned sports teams. If if districts want to have Wrestling, let's say, you know, as an example, which is really kind of an all-male sport, they have to they have to have volleyball as well, an all-female sport. But now, because of the latest social pressure put on the the, the liberal activists, males can participate and compete against women in sporting events. We see that we see this that's going to happen in the Olympics coming right up. This has destroyed everything that the women's rights movement has worked for for so long, for decades. This has also caused many liberal Democrats to rethink their positions and who they support politically. Because of this, liberals have uh, have to do two things. Number one, they have to create a new crisis to keep the factions that, that, they, that they have motivated to vote for them. So they, they come up with these new crises. For example, let me give you an example of this. Democrats have, have been losing more and more of the black vote to the Republican Party. And you can take a look, uh, particularly when it comes to the national wide, like presidential elections and that type of thing, more and more of the black vote is voting Republican. So out come the race baiters. <laughs> They're latching on to anything they can to show how racist this country is. I mean, for instance, the, the, the Derek Chauvin case had absolutely nothing to do with race. It didn't. But you wouldn't know it from the rhetoric, right? This was designed to strengthen the Democratic Party's black base. So they they were starting to slip. They were starting to lose it there. So they had to create a new crisis. Wow, suddenly our country is systemically racist. The other thing they have to do is they have to create new factions through creating new victim classes. And you put forward, a, you know, a uh, unprovable theory, let's say, like like critical race theory, and you guilt millions of white young women into participating in an election that they would never have taken the time or even understood probably before, and and yet 
now suddenly you see this new faction of of people that want to vote democratic why because we got to fight against this systemic racism that we learn through critical race theory now again these are generalizations understand that what i'm talking about here are just simply generalizations and i'm sure that you can probably find you know select individuals uh, here and there that go against the generalizations but it is true that conservative Republicans still represent the silent majority and liberal Democrats gain power through motivating, you know, perceived victims, right? If they can get you to believe that you're a victim, then they can motivate you to try to do something about the fact that you're a victim, right? So if you, if there's, if, if, if there's a victim out there, particularly if it's you, then you're a whole lot more likely to get outside of your your own life and what's happening and, and the things that you want to do or, or, you know, who you want to hang out with and this type of thing. And you, and, and, and then you can go and, and be motivated to try to, you know, vote Democrats in uh, and give them power and give them money because you're trying to do something about the fact that you are a victim or this person over here is a victim. If words are forms of violence. It means that people will not express some ideas or use certain words, in fact. Bad faith activists can, of course, abuse this very easily. And indeed, it's already being abused. And it's all already often used to silence opposition. So when I say that there are victims that and whether they're victims or not, they feel like they're victims. They, the the the, the liberals will will uh, create these victim these new victim status classes, and and to to motivate them, but also to demotivate their opposition. So if you can do away with these words, if you can do away with these phrases, if you can make it so that if you use these phrases. If you, if you use rule of thumb, then you're a sexist or you're a racist. You can't talk about that. You can't use that word. You can't use that phrase. The very concept that words are you know, abusive, even dangerous, like hate speech, is constantly used to try to censor, um, censor journalists and censor uh, debate. And this, this, this quest to answer the so-called trans craze among young women, for instance. You know, similarly, I, I would say Senator Tom Cotton, he was blasted. He's the Republican um, that that was blasted um, because he, he said, you know, that, that the uh, New York Times last year um, wrote this thing uh, that, that he said that, that military should quell nationwide riots by Black Lives Matter and Antifa radicals. That's what he said. And the New York Times blasted him for it. Staffers at the paper just erupted in anger. They claimed the editorial quite literally put the newspaper's black staff members, their lives in danger. That's what they said. It makes sense that most of us laugh at PARC word policing. It is undoubtedly funny and, and driven in part by the narcissism of its authors. In reality, there is no one 
offended by any of these words on the list. They enjoy foreign out, uh, outrage so they can come up with uh, linguistic alternatives, hoping that we'll praise them for holding up such woke views, right? PARC staffers think of themselves as heroes, protecting the, the delicate sensibilities of marginalized communities. They believe that they, that, they, that they are the ones that are designed to help. It is, they, they, these people need them to help them. But they're not heroes. They're villains. Their stunt, whether or not they realize it, would kill the marketplace of ideas. Anyone trying to ban or redefine words to suit a political worldview should not be given any power. So don't just laugh at these self-preening ninnies. Be sure not to give in. And you can listen to this podcast over again. You can listen to others at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.